I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 29. If you're prepared to take your mortgage business to the next level, there is only one place to go. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckberg. Hi, Broker Nation. I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today. Jeff Willis is the managing partner of Origin Mortgages. He's been a broker for 15 years based out of Vancouver, BC. He's also the co-creator of an auto and operating system built by mortgage brokers for mortgage brokers. I am absolutely stoked for this interview today. Jeff, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, Scott. Awesome. So can you just tell me a little bit? We always like to start, but just tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure what you'd like to know. You mentioned 15 years as a broker. I've been in the mortgage origination business since 89, so 25 years. So this is my second tour in brokerage. I was one from 89 to 95 in the very early pioneer days uh, within Mortgage Center uh, with a company called Mortgage Finders and then ended up doing some work uh, with Canada Trust when they started their sales force and then became PD Canada Trust. So worked, uh, never worked in the branch, never been in the bank as an employee, but I've always been on the mortgage origination side. So I spent 10 years on that side and 15 years now uh, on the brokerage side. So a chance to uh, learn a little bit about the inner workings of those partners we call banks in terms of, uh, you know, and I think that's kind of served me well in terms of uh, how we've approached this second time around with Origin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Terms, you want to know about personal life? Is that why you're yeah, asking? Uh, yeah, both. Uh, yeah, okay. tell me a little bit about the yeah your personal life too. Sure. I've been married to, to my wife Alice for 26 years. We have three kids, 22, 20, and 18. I uh, live in Vancouver, over by the University of uh, BC, born and raised in BC, I grew up in New Westminster, and spent a couple of years in Toronto when I was working with TD Canada Trust, so I had the benefit of living in another part of the country and seeing how other marketplaces operate, and uh, decided in 2003 to move back to Vancouver and have made, uh, as I said, the west side my home since that time, and brought our kids up there, so it's been a good, uh, it's been a good run, it's been a good life. Have any of your kids, so far. any of your kids want to be in the mortgage business? Uh, it's probably premature. Certainly, my daughter won't be. She's the oldest. She's going to be in education and uh, does behavioral therapy with autistic kids. So she's kind of got her path. The two boys, I'm not sure. Uh, interestingly enough, over many years of you know hands-free cell phones, they could probably figure out how to pre-qualify somebody just by sitting having sat beside me in the car. So they know a little bit about the business going in, but I don't know that they necessarily think that it's something they want to do yet. Right. And then, so what made you, you kind of worked within the bank uh, the system, and then when you, what made you make the transition to brokering like 15 years ago? Okay, so I, I was in the uh, the banking system from 95 to 2005, and in that particular run, that was probably the best time because uh, effectively when I went over to Canada Trust, having been a broker for 95, that was when discounting began to happen, believe it or not. Uh, things began to move off posted rates, and we had things called relationship pricing, and Banks became more competitive, and uh, they were also our suppliers of business. And in those days, as a broker, your only real universal bank that you could deal with was TD. So uh, the rest were kind of like the monolines, and it was very limited as to what you could sell. So I went over in that direction, just felt that that was the way the future was going to go, and uh, and also built something and felt the need to be involved in building something from scratch. So I was there for the best times. I think that that particular sales cultures had an arc, and I think it's on the downswing. I don't think mortgage specialists working for one bank is very workable going forward. It's like selling, uh, if you're a realtor, and it's kind of analogous to trying to sell a vendor on an exclusive listing in an MLS world. It's just, it's just tough to sell, right? People just don't want that. They want choice, and they want you to be unbiased in your ability to offer them choice. So right. uh, that's what attracted me back into the to the brokerage community. And having been on both sides, I felt that there was a lot of uh, downloading of administrative tasks to mortgage originators 
resetting of rates, having to do deal record sheets to get paid, uh, constantly having to check other people's tick sheets and websites and stuff that just really slowed you down and being productive by, by uh, focusing on your client experience. So before we even opened our doors at Origin, we said, we're going to develop a database and we're going to have professional administrators that work for us that can assist salespeople in doing those functions and doing them better than what salespeople do. So we can all make uh, a better living and also create a better client experience uh, for the people we interact with. Cool. And yeah, your program that you guys have built, Auto, is pretty it's pretty awesome. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we go there, I want to just, I always like to start with a success quote. I find quotes are a great way to distill an idea, make it portable, you can take it with you. So can you share a quote that's really impacted your life or business? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's not from a business guy. It's from a, a well-known uh, comedian actor by the name of Woody Allen. And it's basically 80% of success is showing up. I, I really believe that... Uh, so many people don't get the concept of perseverance in this business and how good things can happen based on uh, creating trajectory uh, of, of the same kind of efforts in the same kind of direction. And uh, I think we all have a tendency on certain things to uh, to quit prematurely. And I think if you get that concept of it's just, you know, show up, answer your phone, keep executing, you're going to overcome uh, most of your competitors because they run out of gas. And uh, everybody who works with me knows that phrase, uh, run out of gas, just don't run out of gas, just keep going. And, uh, you know, that means having a well-thought-out business plan, uh, which is, you know, another problem people can have. But I think if you understand that 80% part, uh, you're going to be in good stead. So can you give me an example of maybe a, a recent time that, that you've applied that to your life or or to your business where the you just the, the no-quit attitude maybe push through something that didn't look from initially that was going to work? Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I can think about the very first time in my life uh, where I really kind of got that uh, thing uh, ingrained in me. And I grew up in a uh, in an athletic household. My father and grandfather owned a sporting goods store. We played every sport there was. I thought I was pretty good at them. And I ended up not making a, a team that I expected to make. And I was like, what? You know, and really it came down to me just not having the right attitude. I remember my dad saying, if you really want to do it, this is what it's going to take. And uh, we worked out every morning for you know, a long time, and I made that team the next year. And it was like, okay, uh, not only did I make the team, but I was, ended up being one of the better players on the team. And it just, it just kind of was that first kind of thing. And I was like 13 or 14 years old. It just ingrained in me that this is all about effort. And, uh, you know, we've made lots of mistakes. When you've been at this for 25 years, uh, you make a lot of errors, right? You just bump into a lot of bulls and we just say, okay, let's not do that again. But, uh, you know, if you hadn't made the mistake, you wouldn't be able to actually make the forward progress. So, you know, um, there's lots and lots of examples, like with Auto, with Origin. When we started Origin, we made it a requirement for everybody that joined us that they had to do their processing of business through our operations center because we knew we needed to build scale with our lenders before we could give people choice. And that was a huge turnoff for brokers that thought submitting deals was an art form. So it took us a long time to get the right people to want to work with us and buy into that concept. Uh, but once we got there and uh, we opened it up and said, now it's your choice to, you know, we want you to do it because you want to do it. Um, all of a sudden, the amount of people that wanted to work with us and uh, uh, under different ways of doing business, uh, you know, really broadened. But, you know, it, it took a lot of painful pressing in the first couple of years to make that happen. Right. Well, actually, that, that's that's a great um, example of how to use that quote. That actually ties right into my next question, which is failure. I know that for me. 
I've uh, made, I've had failures and I've, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a mortgage broker, but looking back, there's always a lesson. So can you maybe share a different failure or something that you failed at, but then looking back the, the lesson that you learned in it? Huh. Yeah, I, I'd say the one thing that we did early days is uh, we probably went a little bit overboard with what we thought our operations center staff could do, what we thought our administrators could do to support us. And at one point, we actually had them uh, interacting with clients. So the whole idea was our brokers or what we call mortgage advisors were focused on you know referral partners and clients getting the deal in the door, getting it approved, getting the commitment letter signed, and what we called acceptance status, which, you know, uh, when we consider a deal to be a receivable or you know likely going to fund, and then we would put that deal back on the administrators to actually follow up the client for the uh, remaining conditions. Well, I mean that is a very difficult part of the process of mortgage brokering to productionalize uh, if you're trying to support a number of people because there's just too much he said she said. You know, Jeff said I didn't need to give you that, and uh, you know, or uh, I wasn't positive about that. It was just very hard to deal with that and what happened is it killed our productivity all of a sudden we couldn't get the throughput and we came to recognize that this while it sounded good in theory it just wasn't very workable I mean it's not bad if you got one assistant to one broker but once you start you know increasing the numbers of people and the various personalities it's almost impossible to manage so we just made the choice that uh, we were going to make these uh, associates that work for us in our operations group lender facing and supplier facing specifically and not be client facing except for sort of minor things or vacation problems and things of that nature. And it, it really helped us turn the corner uh, on how to do it. But, I mean, it was painful because you had taken something away that you were originally going to provide to people and didn't go over that well. Yeah, for sure. And I could see that. Like, as every broker does their business differently, and then if, it, if an assistant or an underwriter is dealing with three or four or five different brokers and they all have a different communication style, it can create friction for the client and, and, for, your, and for your staff. Exactly, exactly. So hmm. one of those good in theory is not so good in practice. And uh, those tend to be uh, the things that we make as a mistake. And then when you peel it back, what you end up realizing is that you were really just trying to create these things because they just made your life easier or what you thought were going to make your life easier instead of really doing things that were for the betterment of the process or for the client. And we just started to change our perspective and say, okay, what, what's the what's the real enhancement here? Like who, whose life is better? You know, and if it's just somebody just because they no longer have to do stuff that didn't feel like doing, that's not necessarily the only uh, litmus test that you should put something through to decide how to go about changing the process. Right. The client kind of is the, at the end of the day, it's the borrower who's got to feel that the process was smooth and, and having he said, she said, doesn't create a smooth process. No, no, it made you look less than credible. Let's put it that way. Because mm-hmm, it, it's like, hey, how come? Uh, do you guys not talk to each other? Because they don't understand, right? They're like, why would the broker say one thing and you say another? Are you guys not communicating? And, and then it, it creates just trust issues. You got it. So, I, and I've also noticed talking to successful mortgage brokers, they all have a system and a process, and they're willing to tweak those uh, processes to get better results. And I know for sure that you're you are really high on this, um, you know using systems if you built auto um so tell me about an administrative process that you guys had that maybe wasn't working as well not you just kind of shared one with the having you know doing collecting doc collecting docs from the clients or being client facing Can you share a different one yeah. maybe that you uh wasn't working quite as well and then you guys made an adjustment either like an electronic adjustment or just a process adjustment and what kind of outcome you got 
Yeah. A, a good one is when we first started auto and we use it internally, uh, we had just had it really kind of manage our deal flow. And then when we got into the business of actually licensing the software to other parties, they would sit down with us and they go, yeah, I really like this. But, you know, interestingly enough, I'm still going to have that filing cabinet in the corner for all my documents. And I'm still going to have this kind of thing hanging off it. And we realized, you know, it's all part of their problem, but we really needed to have it evolve to solve most of what people needed to do in their business. So for in our particular case, we hadn't put documents and and, uh, and condition management into auto. We still had a document server, and we thought, okay, we can sell people on, you know, on how to do this, get a document server and a naming hierarchy, and this is how you keep your documents. And then we thought, that's stupid. Why don't we just put it in auto? <laughs> so we started a condition screen in auto as a place to deposit the, uh, the actual documents that would be associated with any file. And then as we got into it, we thought, well, you know, while we're in there, why don't we use it as a way to create dynamic a client to-do list so that we can keep our clients up to date on what's outstanding. Well, while we're there, why don't we just also have an email manager so that we can send off the documents right from there to the lender, and then we can record when we did it. So there's never that, you know, we lost it. And it was one of those things that started with solving a small problem. And where did we end up? We ended up with a better solution in three or four different fronts just by thinking through all of the things you could do in one place. And uh, we tended to take that attitude here is that if it's a process that we're going to do, I wouldn't say more than once, but if it's going to be something we have to do more than 10 times, why don't we find a way to do it once the right way and have it so that we're not asking everybody else to do it nine more times or plus. So we don't do like deal record sheets and we don't do things that, you know, like, why am I doing this You know, over and over again, the same thing. We try to make it a part of our system. And uh, we've conveyed that through to CRM. We have everybody in our company as all of their clients receive a client campaign, whether it be a rate hold or a live deal, and uh, just by making sure that the commitment letter gets signed. They don't have to do anything else for it to start. So they're not having to populate a database. They're not having to push a button to say go or anything like that. It just happens. And uh, it's not so much what you're saying. It's that you're saying something at the right time. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that, so you, tried to solve, you basically tried to solve one problem, which was document storage, and you end up solving three or four or five more by just going, well, it would be nice if, wouldn't it be nice if, keep asking that question and, and you come up with a pretty cool solution. So I also yeah, noticed... That's the idea is that you, yeah, and that's, uh, honestly, Scott, that, that comes from just being out there talking to people about it because, you know, we wouldn't have, I can't say we wouldn't have thought of it, but we probably wouldn't have thought of it as quickly and it wouldn't have as expanded if you weren't out there interacting. And I think that is a benefit uh, that uh, these kind of forums are sh- should be there should be more of them and there should be more of this exchange and this collaborating because there's so much stuff that we do in this business that's the same thing over and over again and I got to tell you that they're, they're killers on productivity when you think about it and uh, uh, there, there's a better way and if we all communicated better and just got on board with the idea of collaborating on some of these best decisions or, or best practices then we could certainly get a lot more done and deliver a better client experience for everybody that deals with a broker. Right, and improve our market share from, you know, what, overall 30% or something that brokers get to uh, maybe 50 or 60%. Because I'm convinced, too, that the collective wisdom of the brokers that are out there, especially like the, you know, the in the top kind of brokers, that they probably have a solution to almost every scenario and problem if there was a way to, you know, uh, a little bit more collaboration so that we would all get better. Because really the competition, we're not each other's competition as much as, you know, it's in my mind anyway. It's the banks that we're competing with. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting because as you're saying that, one of the things that I was thinking about is that 
the guys that I would consider sort of in the older set, you know, the ones that have been at it sort of the 20 plus years that probably made it because we were the first out there with a pager and said, you can call us after five to realtors and then built up a good client base is a different group than the ones that the guys have been at a long time really uh, built their business on a service competency, right? They were the first out to the marketplace to be able to sell to a realtor. Hey, you can call me after four o'clock. You know, I've got a pager. You know, they really built it not because they were great marketers, but they were the first to be able to say, I can provide you service outside of normal banking hours. And those guys are still around and they, you know, and they've tweaked the processes. Then you got this other group coming up that are young that really understand how to reach that next group of first time buyers, the people that you want to get at the beginning of their life cycle. And I can tell you, there's a way to kind of marry the two together uh, in terms of one conveying knowledge to the other. And then you got lightning in a bottle. I mean, it's just, I, I think that's really where the success of this industry uh, will go. And when I think about, you know, our target market for people that we want to have join our business is to the ones that want to come in and say, I want to figure out how to go from four deals to eight deals to 12 deals to 15 deals uh, and serve as many clients as I possibly can uh, and know what I'm good at and delegate the rest. And uh, I don't want to build all that infrastructure by myself. Um, so what, that's what we're trying to really do and, uh, and make sure we, we do a good job of selection and get the young, younger people who, who've got so much to offer in terms of understanding the mindset of that upcoming buyer that the older guys just don't get. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what I mean? Because any good business that's going to make it long-term has to come at it from a, a customer-orientated focus and not from a service-oriented or, or product-focused uh, direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. I love lightning in a bottle. I love that. That's totally true. So you take the wisdom of the guys who got the systems. Like I, I interviewed Rob Regan Pollock last week, and I mean, that guy's got systems dialed in. And and then you take the it's like a Jesse Johnson who's who's – really good at marketing and you can kind of combine those two things you really would have a a, a killer combination Got it. so another thing i've been hearing a lot about lately is the need to diversify income and so uh, what's your take on and i kind of see two camps from the people i've spoke with some people are like yes you need to diversify and then there's another another camp that says no just stick to mortgage brokering and don't worry about that what where's your take on that and if you guys are focusing say you personally or origin as a group if you're focusing on diversifying your income where are you guys where do you think the opportunity is uh yeah it's funny because you use the word need and i don't think you know i think it's uh it's really want. People want to figure out ways to make more money from the same client. You know, um, and again, I think that comes from a position of, you know, how do I figure out a way to not prospect as much? You know, like there's a lot of people as they get older, they just don't want to hunt anymore. So they think, how do I make more money from the same people? And of course, the refinance business isn't the low-hanging fruit that it was because the guy that you would have gone to and said, hey, listen, we did business three years ago. Let me get you out of your current mortgage and get into a better rate. Well, he's already got the better rate. So, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to sell him different products. So, you know, I'm kind of a two minds. I think people are coming at it from the perspective of it's meeting their need to not have to sell quite so hard to new clients. Secondly... Uh, the rationalization that, oh, you know, the bank's going to get their hooks into their, uh, you know, to their clients and I won't be able to get them. So I got to sell that product first. I think that's a bit of the, uh, the rationale. Have you heard that from other people? Yeah, I have for sure. And, um, uh, okay. So, but like, so for you guys, is it, is it on the insurance side? Some people say, okay, my, my diversification is going to be, I'm going to offer MPP protection. And then someone else says, no, that's not even enough. I need to diversify into, you know, commercial loans and and leasing and 
I mean that some of the brokerages now have like credit cards. And so at what point are you becoming more like a banker and less like a specialist when like, I guess this is, I'm, I'm kind of still un, unclear in my own mind. Maybe this is why I asked this question. I'm unclear in my own mind where I, where I fall. Some days I feel like I should just focus on brokering. Other days I'm like, man, yeah. am I missing opportunity? And so I'm hoping that through, if enough people give me answers to this, I'll come up with a, a, a crystal clear idea in my mind of what's going to work for me. Sure. Because where I was going with that question I just asked you, Scott, is this notion that people do it because they think they, if they don't, the bank will get their client. And I think that's a pretty bad lo- sense of logic because when I think about it, I've got a great lender in First National, let's say, for example, who's really good in a model line, but they got 60 people in a retention team. I mean, they know how to keep the client they've already given them. Scotia, on the other hand, who does sell core banking and insurance and all those other products that I should supposedly be in, you know, it's somebody in the branch who may or may not have called the client that we domiciled the mortgage there with, uh, you know, for five years. And that's my competitor? Geez, you know, when you think about it, that's going to be an easier one to find ways back to me than the first net with the 60 people retention team. So it's like, okay, I, I got to just think about the underlying logic about why I want to sell this other stuff, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think I, I, I use the analogy often with my clients that it's like a good golfer doesn't just think about this shot. You're always thinking about the next one too. So part, part, exactly. part of your business plan so needs here, to involve here, that. Here, here, here's the thing that I think you you got to think about is that a mortgage broker probably at the time a client's buying a home has a fair bit of influence to change a couple of things. One, it can affect somebody's core banking relationship, right? Because, you know, you mm-hmm. make payments on this. And two, uh, for many first-time buyers, they're using their RSPs. So there's that stupid money that has to go back by way of automatic debit right into their RSP so they don't have any tax consequences. So those are two things you can just make part of your sales process. Mm-hmm. But nobody's really figured out a way to do that in a seamless way. And, of course, the banks, you know, and the other lenders that provide the core, uh, you know, don't want to you know, don't want to pay us for that. They'd rather do that fulfillment in their branch. So. I think it's going to take somebody kind of figuring out how to do the fulfillment in an easy way and building it into a sales process for for people to be able to do it. Um, you know, and it, so I, I think it'll happen one day, but I don't think it'll happen because you're going to be depending on 15,000 mortgage brokers across Canada deciding they all want to diversify it for it to be successful. Right. right. And that's that's the difference. So, you know, um, I think it's worthwhile looking into, but I think it's we're a long ways away from that taking place in any sort of big way in Canada, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you balance a, you've got a, obviously a mortgage practice is busy. You guys are growing. You've got the, the software that you guys sell. So how do you balance that with family? Well, I think, you know, and I've listened to a few of the other people you've interviewed. Um, and I think almost all of them say the same thing. I'm either, you know, full on or I'm full off. I'm not doing this kind of thing where I'm on call. Call me anytime. Call me all the time. You know, that sort of thing. After some period of time, you realize you can only go a three-quarter speed if you're always available. So, you know, for me, I, I'm getting better about taking longer breaks, more frequent sort of mini breaks and holidays is where you can't reach me and uh, don't have any trouble turning off my phone once in a while or changing my voice message to say I'm unavailable. And uh, I think it's just a matter of once you set the expectations with both your staff and your clients uh, and you're still doing a good job when you're available, um, you know, you, you can do that balance. But you've got to have the discipline to... to to, to turn off, I think. And if you don't, uh, you just you, you tend to be pretty mediocre most of the time, I think. I, you know, over some period of time, at least that's what I found, is that I just couldn't do it. I, I just, I needed to, 
need to catch my breath by not having to talk to somebody for a bit. You need to recharge. So, and and being unplugged sometimes is the is the best way to recharge for sure. Yeah, and it's not worth it to make that extra little bit of money on the phone call you're going to get for the benefit of the actual real rest. So, once you get that, then you tend to you know make the choice. I'm going to move to the rapid fire questions. You can answer these with a little shorter answers if you like. So, what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Uh, fear. I think they're afraid, and I think that fear, the underlying part of that is they don't really embrace or understand their whole unique selling proposition. You know, they, 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 they're stu- too stuck in that notion of price, and what if I don't have the better price, and what if I don't have something that's kind of this tangible, uh, explicit benefit, you know, now I do, so they, they, they get gripped in fear, because if they're not sold themselves, it's pretty tough to sell other people. Right, yeah. What one habit or thing you think has made you successful? Uh, perseverance. And, uh, I would say, uh, you know, I've been in this a long time and I've been, you know, I don't burn anybody, you know, I don't. So integrity, I guess would be the, the, the second piece, but I'd say always showing up and just never running out of gas is probably the thing that kind of creeps in front of my still there. So I'm going to put a link to, to you auto and to your website on my site, but I'm going to ask, do you have an internet resource other than the, obviously the obvious that you use in your business to make it more successful? Um, you know, I, in, in, in fairness, you know, what we do is we look at everybody, like as an example, we're just doing a whole thing on, uh, re-rendering, um, how auto appears to users and we use Salesforce as a reference. We use, um, Balsamic as a reference. We use, um, some of the things that we've seen in open CRM programs as references, uh, MailChimp. You know, so I, I would say that we, we've come to determine that we haven't got to figure it figured out and let's use best practices of, uh, software and, uh, systems that are out there that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have embraced and figure out how to take the best parts of it and make it something that's a niche product specific to people that are in the mortgage origination business. Right. Yeah, that's true. Just cop- copy, don't, or duplicate, don't innovate is what I always remind myself because innovation yeah. is, uh, risky and expensive and uh, but if you're duplicating then it's uh you know at least you have some kind of something that's proven yeah there's not, not a lot of new ideas out there but there's a lot of ideas that can be uh, uh executed in a different way right you just add your own flair to it so if you could recommend one book to our listeners what would it be one book um i know this one's been mentioned before because we use it a lot in the early days and that's michael gerber's e-myth revisited uh, they get into, you know, it's process focus. Uh, that's one. But another one that I think is really good uh, that a lot of people don't know about is called The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. And a lot of it has to do with just, uh, uh, focusing your energy. And it's kind of, you know, behave like a billionaire in terms of how they use their time, which is your only real resource. So it's definitely worth, uh, worth a read. So where do you think our industry's headed? Where's the opportunity? I think the opportunity, honestly, is in yeah, consumer facing uh, activities. I think the influence of flanker markets, uh, people that are referral partners is waning. And, uh, you, you almost, people will probably stock you as a supplier before they'll call you. So you better turn your energy to end users. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean putting your best rate online and buying their business. It means them, you know, just know that they're looking for you and that in everything else that they do, um, they're being provided choice up front. 
And as brokers, I think we've got to get used to the idea that we can't just say, trust me, I'm going to get you the best deal. We've got to make the choice part of it more uh, apparent, more transparent uh, to that uh, to that consumer and have them feel like they're part of the selection. And I think that's really, if people get that, I think we're gold in this business. But this idea that, uh, you know, I'll take care of it and it's all done behind the scenes, I just don't think, that, I don't think that's going to fly for a consumer. Right. Forward. Okay. Actually, that brings up uh, something I just thought about. So you guys have a process where you provide three quotes or three options to borrowers. Yeah. How, how, how do you guys do that and how is that being received? It's being received really well by consumers when we do it. It's not, you know, it's more work for the mortgage advisors. So, yeah, well, you know, sometimes I can just be expedient and say, hey, listen, I'll just do this. So, it, you know, it all comes down to your own people buying into it. And uh, the way I've sold it is if you guys don't think people are doing um, shopping on you post-approval, uh, you're kidding yourself, you know, and they're more likely to do that if you've only given them one choice because they don't know what else was out there that you took off the table for them. So the unique bids basically is a templated version where we allow uh, brokers to basically line up three offers. So it's an invitation to treat. We're not sending it to three different lenders. Clients coming in doing an application give us a sense for what their credit is and how they earn their income and their plan down payment. And the broker through some Outlook templates and email templates we've created can control the currency that they put forward in front of the client and any incentive. And then it also shows the differences in how IRDs are calculated, portability things, other issues beyond the rate that they might want to make front and center uh, to that client. And now the whole idea is that it's more advisory and you and the client are in it together and say, you know, what are the important factors for us to consider when we select which one of these three might be the best one? And that's the thinking. So it's to change the sales process. It isn't changing the application process per se. Right. Actually, I, I started that a few, uh, week, maybe a couple of months ago. I don't know, from one of the interviews, it kind of tweaked in my mind. And so I created a three options where I would just go through and I explain every lender has an advantage and a disadvantage. And ultimately, it's up to them to decide. And I'll guide. It's a guided process. But I have found, especially my clients that are, you know, 40 plus or they really want somebody to, you know, they want to look at the options, most of them. Uh, you know, the first time buyers often, they're just, they're just like whatever, but, um, but it's still a good practice, I think. And so those templates that you use, are those like, um, like your origin or are they part of auto or how do people actually access those, that type of thing? Yeah, they're part of origin. So we just, uh, we, we built them initially as Outlook templates. So you could just pull them up and it would just say, uh, I'm, you know, they go into our portal and they'd say, I'm going to line up Scotia, First Nat and MCAP. And it would pull up all of the criteria that I just told you about under those three lenders. So we just keep those up to date. And then they just, by, hit, by virtue of pulling them up, they just open up as an email grid, uh, right in Outlook as an outbound email to the client. Mm-hmm. So it's really just so that people didn't have to do, like I told you before, like a deal record. You know, oh, okay, this is how their IRDs calculate for this one. And this is how their IRDs calculate for that one. And it was already done for them. And they're just pulling it up as a template. But they're controlling the currency. They're deciding what they want to do with the rate and if they want to do a cashback or, you know, pay for somebody's legals or part of it or whatever. They they control that part of it. We're just helping them with the, uh, you know, the, the ability to, to, to point out the differences, right? So, uh yeah, that, that that thing. I you know I think it's a big deal. I don't know about you, but every time I'm buying something, particularly things in travel, and I'm comparing to the cows come home because I'm always thinking, am I getting what I think is going to be reasonable value? Right. So I think it's uh, I think it's something that we got to start thinking more about as a business. Yeah, I think that that's where we're, we're headed for sure. If you go online, everything has like three options. You know, you go to the website and it's like option A, B, and C, and people they all have slightly differences, and people get to. We want to feel like we want to make a decision. Fifty options is too many, but three is a good number that you can 
wrap your head around. And so I think you're right. I think that's going to be we're, what we're in technical sales. I think that's something that Rob Regan Pollock said to me, which I thought was true. We are what we are is it's a technical sales job. So we need to be able to show people the differences and having a tool to do that is fantastic. So do you get a, a lot of adoption on that tool from your brokers or is it still sort of like I would say that we would probably be 50-50 at this point. And it's like anything, Scott, you want to do something different, you better be committed to selling it to your own internal group. Like if you think it's hard to sell to end users, it's equally hard to sell to internal users because people are creatures of habit and they get used to doing it a certain way. So it's it's all about leadership, honestly, and just keep pushing it. And I can tell you what I do know is that the people that do it on every deal, they fund what they put on the books. Like they don't have cancellations. And they get more personal referrals from their clients. So, you know, it's on me now to keep saying to everybody else who's not doing it, how do you want your business to look? Do you want it to look like this guy's or do you want it to look like yours? And, uh, you know, people can answer that question the way they want. Right. That's awesome. Okay. So we'll move to the last question. The DeLorean, which is, remember the movie Back to the Future? Yep. And so there's the DeLorean. You get in the car, travel to any time. So if we could set the time and date to your 15 years ago when you transitioned from in the bank world to the brokering world and you could t- give yourself three pieces of advice to have a bigger, better business today, what three things would you tell yourself? I would, it's really kind of one thing that's messed with a whole bunch of other things, and that is just find out more about every client I dealt with, you know, their assets, their interests, their connections, et cetera. I do a better job of staying in touch and document uh, all their key life changes, and I keep them closer forever. I believe in the, uh, now in this concept of spider web marketing, uh, and it works based on personal bonds and connections. And uh, if you know, there was a long time ago, a guy by the name of Harvey McKay wrote a book called Swim with the Sharks. And he had a saying that people don't care uh, what you know about them once they know you care about them. And he had sort of the McKay 66 and built a humongous envelope business, the most boring kind of product out there on that basis. And it just, it just proves it. And I think that uh, more than anything, if you're involved in somebody's purchase of a home, uh, you're in the inside. And uh, I don't think... We, as a business, I know myself as a business person, haven't done enough to stay inside with some of those people. So that's what I would do different if I was given that opportunity to give it another shot. It's simple, but it's got a huge ripple effect, I believe, if you do it on every deal with every client. So find out more about every client, stay in touch better, and then keep them close forever. So the three things that you'd, how you'd kind of define that? Yeah, build on connections. Don't, Don't build on the product offering. Build on the connection to the person. Right. Okay. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate this interview today and your time. Uh, there's lots of great stuff in here. I love the idea of the three unique bids and the three quotes. I think anybody listening to this, if they're not on your system or thinking about how they can implement that is crazy. Uh, how can people find you online? Well, if they want to know more about Origin Mortgages in terms of what we do for mortgage advisors, uh, originmortgages.ca. We've got some uh, both a, a mortgage a quiz on there for first-time buyer self-serve quiz. We also have a mortgage assessment. And uh, and those all have videos as well as actual self-serve quizzes, so it's not all touch stuff. You can just listen. And then there's also uh, Elise on there doing an explanation of how the three unique bids work. So I think any mortgage broker can just sort of spend two minutes and listen to that video and get a sense for what we're doing because it's not about sending it to three different lenders. It's about making our clients part of the choice. For auto mortgage, you can go to automortgage.ca um, and, and have a look uh, there. There's lots of information about what the system does. And then we also sponsor a Facebook page called Mortgage Brokers Get Serious. Uh, it goes across uh, all networks, all parts of the country, at about 350 members. And we talk about all things about brokers getting serious about building their business. So anybody who likes to be on Facebook and just get the occasional news update, you can also 
connect with us through that. And that's not specific to Origin or Auto. It's just really, uh, you know, we put some stuff in there because it's what is uh, how we operate. But you can certainly uh, stay connected to a whole bunch of colleagues across the country that way too. Right. Awesome. And are you guys hiring? Are we hiring? Yeah, we're always, we're always hiring. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, we, uh, we we hire for attitude and teach skills. So for the right people, we, we're, our doors are always open for hiring. Awesome. Well, if anybody's listening to the show, they can get links to this at ilovemortgagebrokering.com, links to Jeff's website. They can, they can track down auto. Jeff, I've really appreciated this, and I hope you rock the rest of your year. Thanks, Scott. If you are prepared to take your mortgage business to the next level, there is only one place to go. I love mortgage brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing. Since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.